First Thessalonians chapter number 5, going to be looking at verse 23 through 28. Let's stand together for the reverence of the reading of God's Word and prayer for the message. I thank you for being here. Good to see Wayne over there. Eh? Tell you what, every time I hear him talk, I see his daddy. If you ain't never talked to him and John Tidd before, I don't know if you could tell them different over the phone hardly. It pretty much uh, creeped me out a little bit. I hadn't talked to him in a while. But uh, great man of God, Brother John. Appreciate his life. I miss him this time of year. Me and him are going to have a talk when I get there. He had to die on my birthday. I don't guess he had no choice, sister. Great man. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First of all, raise your right hand. Fix and swear you in. If you can, raise your left. Now exercise a minute. Now you're worshiping the Lord, right? Okay, let's get that over with. Now, now, don't forget you're at church, you're allowed to do that. Okay? Uh, I know this time of year is supposed to be a great year, for a great time of year for people. Christmas, Thanksgiving just came by, everybody's excited, Santa Claus is coming. But I got news for you, Jesus may come before He does. And uh, we ought to worship Him in truth and in spirit today. It, it ought to be a great time for people, but it's a sad time for people too. People that are going through their first Christmas without their mates. People that are going through very difficult times. It'll be different for them. So you pray for those today if you would. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray... God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you. Amen. Father in heaven, God, as we come to you this morning, as humble as we know how, thanking you for our, uh, your goodness, your mercy, and dear God, your grace that you bestowed upon us. Lord, I pray that you would loose these lips, let them go. God, I pray that you'd undergird me with spirit and power from heaven. Lord, where we may give somebody some help today. Dear God, we all need help from time to time from the precious Word of God. And I pray that Your Word will speak to our hearts in a special way. But Lord, most of all, if there be one here that's lost and undone, doesn't know You from the free pardon of sin, God, we pray in Jesus' name, that name which is above all others, that the powerful pull and draw of the Holy Ghost would draw them to an altar of prayer before it's everlasting too late. And God, will surely thank You, give You glory, praise, and honor for all that You do for us in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I want to ask you a question this morning, and you don't have to answer me out loud, but I believe everybody would probably have their own opinion. What makes a great church? What makes a powerful church? Some people believe that 
If the church is so big, it must be a great, powerful church. Uh, Some people believe it's got to be a small group of people to be a great and powerful church. When in actuality, a great, powerful church, uh, it, it doesn't hinge upon the size of the congregation or the size of the building or the size of the programs. Uh, a great and powerful church depends on the obedience of the people in the pews uh, uh, in their faithfulness unto God. I believe that with all of my heart today, if we will take this message and apply it to our lives, uh, our church can be greater. Our church can be more powerful. Our church can do things for the glory of God that you realize that cannot be done. And you'll be saying, well, I've never seen it on that fashion. Well, you know what? There's a lot of things that have not been seen. Uh, I believe it was the great D.L. Moody that once said, uh, it is yet to be seen what one man totally sold out to God Uh, can do for His glory. I'm talking about being sold out uh, uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at this Scripture here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, I believe it tells us what would would, would need to happen to actually uh, evolve ourselves into a great powerful church. uh, A church that can touch people. A church that can see souls saved. uh, A church that can fight the devil tooth and nail. A church that will be faithful unto God uh, and help to one another. I'm talking about a powerful church this morning. First thing I see in verse 23 and 24, to have a powerful church, I believe people have to live godly lives. Look at that scripture again. The very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. How often today is the testimony of the church ruined by people that attend or members of the church that go outside these walls and live in sin? How damaging is it to a church uh, when one proclaims to be the Christian, uh, claims to possess uh, the great free gift of salvation, uh, and yet goes out into this world uh, and lives like the world itself? Uh, My friend, that has a negative impact uh, on the church itself. Uh, It has a negative impact on the pastor. It has a negative impact on other Christians that are in, that are trying to do right. Uh, And it has a negative impact uh, on those people that are lost and on their way to hell without Jesus. Uh, many years ago I've had people tell me down through the years uh, oh well I can't go to this church or I can't go to that church well why can't you go to that church why can't you go to this church uh, and I've heard just about every excuse in the world but the greatest and worst excuse I've ever heard was because I know I can't go to that church I know so and so down at that church and they serve as the deacon or they serve as the pastor or they serve as a Sunday school teacher they serve as the head of the ladies auxiliary and they live like hell itself uh, and my friend if it's okay for them to do that uh, it's okay for me to live like that out here uh, and not be a part of the church that's a sad testimony today we're called out from among them to be separate brother Joe Floyd Uh, we're we're to be a holy people now listen we've already determined this Uh, uh, we're sinful nature we sin and come short of the glory of God daily none of us are going to be perfect but I'm here to tell you once Jesus Christ moves inside of you you'll have a desire to live a godly life uh, each and every day in which you live Uh, you'll have a desire to want to come to the house of God any chance that you can Uh, you'll have a desire to come to revival 
Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, even though you think it's near Christmas uh, and Santa Claus is coming down the chimney and your beans are burning at the house, uh, I'm here to tell you, be in the house of God and get what God's got for you. He said He'll be faithful. There in verse number 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Many of us get called to do things by God. But yet we'll, uh, we'll fade away from that calling because we feel like we can't do it. Or we feel like that we're nobody and that we can't get anything accomplished that what God has called you. Trust me and when I say this today, if God has called you to do something, God will provide the means, the ways, and the fashion for you to complete exactly what God has called you to do. Amen. Now some of you women don't come up to me and say you've been called to preach. Scripturally, when God calls you to do something. Right, Max? Scripturally, when God calls you to do something. I don't believe you can place a woman in the pulpit scripturally to preach the Word of God. Well, one or two of y'all got that. Some of y'all must be thinking about preaching. Get you a soapbox and get on the the courthouse steps or the... The, 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 the red light down here, because that's about the only air time you're going to get. Amen. Listen, I'm here to tell you. We've got to be people that live godly lives, and we've got to have that positive testimony inside the church. Listen, it is possible for you to be godly. Good news. That's good news. It's possible for us to live godly and honor the Lord and enhance the testimony of the church, not rip it down. There's power in godliness. God is faithful. He can be trusted. He can be relied upon. But my friend, if you're going to have a great, powerful church, we've got to live lives that are in order. We gotta live like, listen, how is God gonna bless a church uh, uh, that is full of people? It could be a thousand people, but yet none of them are right with God and none of them are living right. Huh? How is God gonna bless that? He's not. Oh, we may go through some emotional changes. Or or they may go through uh, this kind of change or that kind of change. But my friend, uh, uh, when God saves you, I don't know. Listen, maybe maybe I'm different than everybody else. And I hope that I'm not. But Dusty, when God saved me, I wanted to live right. And when I didn't, he told me about it. (laughs) He'd tell me, no, son, uh, you're going down the wrong road. No, you shouldn't have said that. No, you shouldn't have done that. And I'm not here to preach on do's and don'ts today. I'm saying there's nothing wrong with living right. There's nothing wrong with living holy lives before your children. There's nothing with living holy lives in your life to where you can have a positive impact on the kingdom of God and in the church that you serve. Number two. Great and powerful church. Look at verse number 25. Paul tells them at Thessalonica, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Don't raise your hand. Let me ask you a question. How many of you prayed for this preacher this week? Brother Sean Fortner had it on his sign. It's been up there for two months. I think he's trying to relay a message. The sign says, Prayerless pews leads to powerless pulpits. Prayerless pews 
least a powerless pulpit. Listen, if you can't pray for the leadership of the church, we'll never be what we should be. If you can't find time to uh, fall on your knees and go to God and, and, and bow your head or whatever and, and, and go to the Lord and, and pray for your pastor and pray for the preachers of the church and pray for the revival meeting this coming week. My friend, listen, nothing will get accomplished in God's will and way if we can't pray. My friend, He is waiting to listen to you and I today. He's waiting to hear from you and I to where we can come together as one and corporately pray for the spiritual leaders inside the house of God. Listen, you think we don't have battles being pastors? I'm here to tell you, we fight the battles on your behalf many a time. Many a times we have to stick our neck out and our spiritual ears out and, and, and curb this or curb that to try to uh, uh, save the face of another, to try to help that of another, uh, to where that one won't be heard and to where uh, that one would, uh, you know, do the right thing. There's many a times, my friend, that we need prayer. I got a phone call yesterday and I had, we had a lot of things going on and and Brother Rex wasn't doing well. I went and seen him. Had that going on, and but and, and we had some stuff going on there at the house too. And and I had a I had a, 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 a another phone call from a gentleman that that was pretty much a, a, another preacher, a pastor, if you will, and, and and was wanting to know if I would compromise on this, that, or the other. Listen, I don't play friendship theology. I'll sit there and love you. I'll sit there and try my best to be right with you and to do what's right in the eyes of God and do what's right. If you're wrong, I'll tell you. Look, you're wrong. You shouldn't have done that. I'll tell you. But listen, don't ask me to bend on the Bible. I ain't going to do it. Can't do it. That goes for a congregation, another man of God, or whatever it is. I can't do it. I can't bend on the Word of God. I'm not going to bend. Listen, if you begin bending, Brother Joe, you'll just go ahead and break. Amen. You'll go ahead and break. Listen, I'd rather sit here with me and my wife and my children all by myself if I had to bend. I'd rather sit here with just us and preach to my family of what saith the Word of God. And I hope you feel the same way today. Because, folks, listen, we didn't get to where we are today by bending on morals. We didn't get where we are today by bending on convictions. We didn't get where we are today uh, by uh, taking it easy on sin and taking it light on sin. Listen, sin is still sin. It's bad for you. It's bad for your family. It's bad for your life. But listen, those that know to do that which is good and don't do it, James says it's a sin. Shouldn't we be praying for the leadership of our church? Shouldn't we be praying for the pastor, the assistant pastor? Shouldn't we be praying for our Sunday school teachers? Hey, listen, there's been times over the last few weeks. I've prayed for my ushers. Amen. Listen, I'm here to tell you, leaders in the church need prayed for. If we're going to be a great, powerful church, we need that prayer. If you don't have anybody else to pray for, and your life is just as rosy as it can be, and you feel like that there's nothing that can go wrong, first of all, let me tell you, it will get ready. It's coming. But second of all, while you got a little bit of downtime, pray for me. I need it. The truth is, all of us need it. Some of us just got too much pride to admit it. People are friendly to one another is also a, a, a point of a powerful, great church. Be friendly with one another. Look at verse number 26. 
Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I remember preacher Jimmy Miller took that literally. He loved man with beards. He would grab that beard. He'd come down to the aisle. He'd preach and he'd grab that beard and he'd go. <laughs> right on the head. None of you men's got long enough beards for me to grab. Now listen. You got to be real careful in this world in which you live. When you do something like that. There's a spiritual meaning behind that. There's a, there's a deep scriptural meaning behind that. Another message for another day. But what the Bible's trying to say, there's nothing wrong with being friendly. Nothing. I count it an honor and a privilege to be a pastor here, uh, Brother Damon, when people tell me, this is the friendliest church I've ever seen. Sometimes I go, okay, well, thank you. And we usually fellowship a lot, you know, and we... You know, go around shaking people's hands, make people feel welcome, try to make them feel welcome, you know. Listen, when you're here and we want you to feel at home, I don't like to say get comfortable because if you get too comfortable in here, then you might be going in the wrong direction. We want God to move upon your heart, amen? What's wrong with people being friendly? But let me say the formation of cliques can be a death of a congregation. God's people need to be friendly to one another. And this takes some time. This takes some effort. But I promise you, it will be rewarded. Many years ago when we took over the pastorate, it was over the church, old church building. Back in 2002. November 2002. One of my first messages, one of the first ones out of the first few weeks that we were there. I looked at the people. I said, look. If you want to get off of this mill hill, if you want to grow this church, y'all got to be friendly. And sometimes we got to be reminded of that. What's wrong with a smile? Nothing. Matter of fact, tell me, Nurse Kara, they tell me, <laughs> put you on the spot, they tell me that it takes less muscles in your face to smile than it does to frown. That true? Got proof right there. What's wrong with smiling? What's wrong with going to a man and saying, I love you, brother? And it's all right for me to kiss you on the head. No one would ever think that me and Mr. Bradley had something going on. See, I wouldn't have to worry about that. Good man. Nothing wrong with being friendly, Dusty. Now, I'm not going to kiss you, but I'm going to shake your hand. I'm going to look at you and smile at you and act like I won't be here. Amen. Listen, I talked with a gentleman yesterday. I began to witness him to him. He didn't want to hear it. But, Brother Damon, I had him where I want. I got him in my car. We're riding. I said, come on, we're going to go get some lunch. And he got in the car, and we started riding. I knowed he wasn't going to jump out of the car. I said, listen, buddy, you sound like a great guy. Now, he might cuss every breath. I fixed that, though. I set up a little jar. I said, every time you cuss, you put $20 in that jar. And when you're done with what you're doing around here, I'm going to take that money, and I'm going to give it to a needy family. He said, okay. He didn't cuss a bit. Didn't cuss. The rest, 
Oh, the time was there. I said, come on, we'll go to lunch. I got him in the car. I said, listen, buddy, you seem like a great guy. Why don't you go to church anywhere? Oh, but preacher, I've been saved. I got saved when I was 10 years old. Mom and daddy always took me to church, and I'd go to this church and that church. But I got in the military, and I began to move here and to move yonder, and I got out, and I got with a bad crowd, and all this, that, and the other. Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. I said, okay, wait a minute. Be honest with me. Tell me the real reason why you can't be in church tomorrow. This was his excuse. Well, I'm just too busy. And Sunday's the only day that I get to rest. Hmm. Imagine that. Brother Joe works six and seven days a week, but he's here. I know that for a fact. He told me earlier, he said, I don't count it a chore or a job to come to the house of God. I count it rest. I come to church to rest. I come to church to get away from the world. And when you come to church, you don't want to have to look at somebody like they look look like they're eating a sack of lemons. You want to see them smile. Now listen, I'm not trying to put on no show or to be no fake. What God has instilled in me has put a smile on my face. Now, do I need to smile all the time? Will I smile all the time? Nope, won't do it, can't do it. I get discouraged down and out just like the rest of you. But my friend, remember who you're representing this morning. You're representing the King of glory, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. You're representing your Savior. You're representing the one that died on Calvary's cross for you. You're representing the house of God. You're representing Turning Point Church. You're representing the Master of all. And my friend, it's enough to make you want to smile and be friendly toward one another. Growing churches are known for their warmth of fellowship and genuine concern for people. Jesus says in John fifteen twelve, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, you know... Pastoring people gets discouraged sometimes. You do. You get discouraged. You'll pour your life out into somebody's life in an effort to help them. And yet, you think they're walking with you. And you turn around and they're gone. (laughs) I mentioned this a few weeks ago in our harvest service. Church gave me a huge blanket over the old building. Been 10, 12 years ago, I guess. 10 years at least. They gave me this huge quilt. And everybody got a square on that quilt. And they signed to the preacher. We love you, preacher. We're going to support you, preacher. I pulled that thing out the other day. And I looked. And I said, all of y'all just must have just wrote a lie on here. Because there ain't but about one or two of you left. But you know what I've learned down through the years, Brother Dusty? Is this. When the going gets tough, everyone that you think is going to be there ain't always there. (laughs) Hey, listen. You turn around, damn, they're gone. You're like, (laughs) I was 
traveling with another pastor that pastored in the lower part of the state one year, one year, and we were just riding through. Matter of fact, he got kicked out of his church and said, look, you're either going to resign or, or we're going to boat you out, either one. I think they done both. <laughs> I don't know. I said, well, what was the vote? He said, oh, I lost every one. <laughs> I said, what? He said, yeah, I lost. I ain't getting no votes. I said, none? None. I said, well, Okay. <laughs> And as we was riding through the town to where he pastored, David, he said, oh, there's my, there's my friend. He's pumping gas. Pull over there. I used to pastor him. Pull over there. I want to talk to him. He's my friend. I looked at him. I said, he's your friend. He said, yeah. I said, didn't you say you lost every vote? He said, yeah. I said, did that mean your friend said no to you? He said, yeah, I guess you got a point. Let's keep driving. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. A lot of times, Brother Joe, we don't need people behind us. We need people beside us. Amen. Because a lot of times, and I know a lot of people have done this, when they're behind you, they're doing this. Huh? A lot of y'all don't understand that. But you've been in this thing as long as I have. You begin to learn. Everybody ain't going to stick. Everybody ain't going to always love you because when you start plowing in their field, they don't like it. Be friendly to one another. But a great and powerful church. Look at this point, verse number 27. I charge you by the Lord that, is the, that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. People need to study their Bibles. No congregation can be what it should be apart from a diligent study of the Word of God. Each member, each attender must take it upon himself to learn as much of the Word of God as he can possibly learn. The Word of God tells us how to live in a matter that is pleasing to God and is profitable to all men. Paul put these Christians under a solemn duty to read this epistle to the entire congregation. Read it. The word charge there carries the idea, idea to be put under oath. Take that oath to read it. Some of you this year have read through your Bible two times already. One person told me. said they've read through it. Some of you are reading through it and will be finished by the end of the year. I think that's awesome. I think that's great. But my friend, there's a serious charge here this morning. A growing church gives priority to the Word of God. And when we have those problems that sneak up in our lives and, and when we get depressed and when we get discouraged and when we get distraught and the devil's fighting us from toe to toe, from end to end, I'm here to tell you, if you'll just open up the Word of God, pray a little bit and say, Lord, send me to where I need to go and open it up and read it, you will find the answer to all of life's questions in this book. How can we grow when we don't know? The Bible classes some as mature Christians, those that are, can, can eat the, the meat of God's Word. And then they get, the Bible uh, shows some that are, are, are babes in Christ uh, that still desire the, the milk of God's Word. The problem is, uh, many of us, when we first get saved, uh, we want to go right to the meat of God's Word without getting the milk of God's Word, which leads to a cracked foundation. And a cracked foundation is a bad foundation. And you end up confused, distorted, and defeated. You've got to have that foundation. 
you got to have a preparation. Listen, I just didn't wake up one day and I was called to preach. I fought God for six months. I fought with myself. I fought with people. I fought with preachers. I fought with myself a long time. The first thing that was told to me was this. All right. You're called to preach. I'll take you for your word. But preaching is a time of preparation. Preaching is a time of study. Preaching is a time to where you come into God's word and you read and you study and you pray and you try to enhance your knowledge all that you can. A lot of times, listen, you think the men of God that preach three times a week, some preach more than that, sometimes we have to preach more than that. We're not looking for something fresh in that old book. God, you bow down on your knees before God and you cry out to God, God, I need a fresh loaf from heaven today from our people. For this church today, Lord, I need a fresh loaf from heaven. They've heard everything I've got. And that's when you have to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Because I promise you we could preach two, three times a day from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations and we could never preach it all in our lifetime. And continue to pull out those nuggets day after day after day that God would bless us with and help us with. Folks, people that are in growing, thriving churches today are people that will study their Bibles. Listen, the internet has killed churches. What do you mean the internet? Well, because, listen, if if you use this, that's up to you. But I'm just here to tell you. Listen, it's easy, Brother Damon, to go... Let me see what I can find on the internet to, to preach today. And you find what you want to preach and you print it off. You look over it a couple of times and you're ready to go. Now what did God have to do with that? It spoils. It keeps you away from the Word. It keeps you away from prayer. It keeps you away from study. I was told a long time ago. Boy, don't buy none of them sermon books. If you buy them sermon books, you can pick you one out, one for every day. But that ain't might not be what God wants you to preach. In other words, uh, when we preach, Brother Damon, we've got to get on our face before God and ask Him, Lord, I need your help. What will you give me for today? It's instamatic society, man. <laughs> you pull it up, boom, there it is. I'll just preach this. This sounds good. It's got a fresh title. It sounds real good. It's biblically sound. I believe I'll just do this. Without even going to God and praying that God, that is what God has given you. There's abundant of resources, and resources are great. I use commentaries. I use a commentary in our Sunday school class. I, I use commentaries. I read. I try to expand my knowledge. But my friend, if you're not growing in the pew, listen, I, I'm, I'm only here. I'm here for Sunday school. I'm here for worship Sunday morning, worship Sunday night, and Wednesday night prayer meeting. But listen, if you're depending on me to feed you the entire week, you will starve to death because you have to feed yourself. 
But many people in these days in which we live, they don't have time to feed themselves. Uh, they don't have time to pull out the Word of God. How can you not have time? This is when we need to blow the whistle, call time out, uh, and say, Lord, I'm spending this time with you today for this hour, for this 15 minutes, for this 45 minutes, whatever it is. Block off the TV, put away the phone, put off, turn off the computer, get in your face before God, get in His Word, and allow God to speak to you that way. That's how it happens. How does God reveal those things? Now listen, I know we get ideas. We get, you know, Dusty mentioned an idea the other day and I was like, hey, that's pretty good. I forgot what it was, but it was about dead people. Was it not? Spiritual zombies. What scripture was that? You remember? Hmm? It was in Romans. Spiritual zombies. In this zombified world that we live in, where every show on TV is about dead people. We need to preach on spiritual zombies. That's good. I'm going to work that up. If you'll work it up, I'll pray over it and use it. (laughs) Spiritual zombies. But isn't that like most people today? They're walking around as a zombie, spiritually. They're dead spiritually, David. They're dead spiritually. So they would be a spiritual zombie. Huh. Many a people today walking around thinking they've got something when they don't have a thing. My word. If we're going to be a growing, powerful church, we've got to have people that will study their Bibles. But fifthly, we've got to have people that appropriate the grace of God for their lives. In other words, the grace of God is essential for salvation and the grace of God is essential for Christian living. Salvation comes by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, verse 9. The grace of God enables us today to continue in this Christian life. I'm here to tell you. Look at verse 5, verse 28. Chapter 5, verse 28. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It's a specific grace. It says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sustaining grace. The Lord gives us grace for every trial. Those who humble themselves before Him. Uh, James 4 and 6. But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He has said God resisteth the proud. But giveth grace to the humble. It's sufficient grace. He said my grace is sufficient for thee. Listen. If you're saved today. You've got God's grace in your life. To help you in every situation of your life. I've never seen Rex Bailey not smiling. He smiles all the time. He does. He smiles all the time. When I walk in to see him, I say, I guess you're feeling pretty good. You're smiling. Doing good, preacher. Doing good. And everybody's shaking their head. He ain't doing good. But he's smiling. 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 Many people, Damon, I've seen... Uh, be on their deathbed, scared to death, even though they're saved, would be scared to death, getting ready to die. But boy, in the hour that they come to the point of death, God gives sweet dying grace to those that are leaving here. And it's a, it's a grace that you'll never experience until you get ready to die. 
That's it. You'll never experience it until you get ready to die. And when you get ready to die, that sweet Holy Ghost of God comes by and gives you a dose of dying grace and says, look here, it's simple. You can't stop it. There's nothing you can do. Give it up. I've got your hand. We're going to cross over together. And there you go with the Lord over into the city of heaven. Over, away from this world, over into that bliss, my friend, that is perfect happiness and peace. I'm here to tell you, dying grace has got to be some kind of stuff. You can't buy it. You can't pay for it. But you can't obtain it. How do I get dying grace? Well, you've got to be saved first. And then once you're saved, you'll have that grace. How to be a powerful church. How to be a powerful, growing church. Listen, you've got to appropriate the grace of God that's in your lives. You've got to study the Word of God. You've got to be friendly toward one another. You've got to pray for your spiritual leaders. And you've got to live godly lives. If you'll do that, God said he'd do the rest, and it'll happen. I want you to stand as they give us a song of invitation. One of those points that we mentioned today is a point of prayer. Listen, if you don't have nothing to pray for, I encourage you to come pray for me. But the truth is, we've all, all got something to pray for. What do you mean, preacher? Well, we got revival starting tomorrow night. Need prayer. Need to pray. Preacher can't pack up revival in a suitcase and bring it over. But boy, we sure can pray it down. Pray. Pray. If you've got a need today, you come and get what you need. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Your many blessings. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do that which is right. Help us to live a life, dear God, before others to where we may have a growing, thriving, powerful church. God, I pray that you'll help us move forward for the cause, grace of God. Lord, may you send revival our way next week, dear God. Revive our families, strengthen our families, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come.